welcome to Long Hill Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast where you can listen to our latest sermons filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're in the car, on the couch, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. Well, hello, Long Hill Chapel Online. Pastor Michael here. I hope your summer's off to a great start, and we're so glad you've joined us today as we conclude the series we have been in uh, for quite a few weeks now called A New Way to Be. And it's a study through Jesus' initial kind of coming out stump speech in the gospel, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. You know, I've lived in the tri-state area in New Jersey for more than 20 years now, but I remember a trip I took into New York City when I was still pretty new to the area. And my brother and his wife were in town, and my wife Grace and I, we decided to go into New York City, and we wanted to go to Lincoln Center. And mind you, this is long enough ago that the internet existed, but the whole idea of, of Google Maps or Apple Maps or GPS on our phones was just not a thing yet. Smartphones had not come into play yet. And so we were looking for Lincoln Center. And I was absolutely convinced that Lincoln Center was to the south of where we were. And so it was nighttime. I believe it was in the fall. We started walking. We kept walking. The streets got darker and darker. And at some point, it dawned on us that we were going in completely the wrong direction. And I was the one who had led this charge. And my wife to this day will tell you that I'm so directionally challenged. She is the one who has a much better sense of direction. And she would say things like, are you sure it's not the other direction? I was like, no, I'm absolutely certain we're going in the right direction. And we kept on going. We kept on going until it became very, uh, we became very aware of the fact that Lincoln Center was actually in the opposite direction. We had gotten farther away from it at night in the middle of New York City. And this brings us to where we're going to land our series and land our time today. And it's this idea around what's true. You know, we look in the world around us and increasingly it seems less concerned about what's actually true, but instead what reinforces what the various sides and perspectives, and we all have one of those, by the way, have decided is all ready true. You know, I had decided that Lincoln Center was south of us, and so we were going to start walking, and it took us in a direction. My preconceived idea led us somewhere, and it was actually in the opposite direction of where we needed to go. And, you know, certainly this is problematic in our lives, but it is potentially catastrophic when it comes to our faith. It really has the ability to mess things up in a big way. And Christians and church people, uh, we have this rich tradition of talking about truth and talking about this issue when it comes to other people. But the thing we miss very often is that this is actually part of the human condition that even affects us and especially affects us. And sometimes when we put on the cloud of religion over the direction we've already decided that we want to go, whether it's in the decisions we're making with our lives or our finances or even things like our politics, we are able to justify and rationalize nearly anything. And very often it leads us in a direction that is away from what is actually true and away from Jesus himself. Here's a couple quotes for you. This is Robertson Davies. He's a Canadian writer and play, playwright. And he, he taps into this idea in our condition. He says, the eye sees only what the mind is prepared to comprehend. So we look for the things that we're already looking for. This is part of our human condition. We search out things. It's called confirmation bias. But we search out things that reinforce what we've already decided 
is true. And so very often our quest for truth is actually a quest to reinforce the things that we've already decided we want to be true or we want to believe. Veronica Roth, who uh, wrote the Allegiant series of novels, she says this, I think that no matter how smart, people usually see what they're already looking for. And that's all. And so there's a few reasons for this. Uh, the first one is this, and I think maybe some of us who've lived some adult life for the past few decades uh, can really feel this, is that the world feels like that it's changed. It may have begun around the turn of the century and 9-11 and the events of that, but we see it even in things like the coronavirus pandemic and the response uh, to that in various ways. The political landscape, really both sides, however you want to define both sides, they, they have in their own way, they've attacked the foundation foundation of truth. It's become very much about what we want to believe or what we want to see. On, on one side, you hear phrases like, find your own truth. And really what that is, is find the thing that lines up what you've, what you've already decided you feel or the direction that your life is going in. And that's just not how truth works because there's an objectivity to truth. But on another, on another side of it, we find phrases like, do your own research. And really what that is very often is that's, let me be honest here, that is shorthand for find voices. And with the internet now, it is so easy to find something that supports nearly any point of view. Find voices that line up with what I've already decided, that already go in the direction of what I'm looking for. And so that's happened, but there's this other thing that's happened as well, and this is just the truth of our condition is that we are not nearly as objective as we think we are. And this isn't because we love falsehood. It's not because we're out looking for deceit or the wrong thing, but it's simply because of how we're wired as human beings. You know, by one count, there are nearly, there's 99, maybe almost 100 different biases around truth. Philosophers and thinkers around this have identified these 99 different ways we don't see things objectively, even when we think we do. Now, here's the problem, is all of the things I'm saying you agree with already, and so do I, but we tend to see it in other people first. We tend to see it in other people, or we tend to see it in the other side of the political aisle or in that group over there, and it's very hard for us to see it in ourselves. One of the Old Testament writers, a prophet named Jeremiah, was observing what was going on in the halls of power in his day, and he wrote what has become one of my favorite, although it's very depressing, bumper sticker verses in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. And he said this, the human heart is deceitful above all things and without cure. Who can understand it? Very, very uplifting verse. But he's talking about all of us. He's talking about our human condition that we tend to sell ourselves or go in the direction of things that aren't true and that it's a terminal condition and that none of us have figured it out. There's not like we can't get smart enough or even religious enough to get beyond this. And so we need something else. We're prone to deception. And that brings us back to the story where I was going and leading uh, my brother and his wife and my wife, even against their better judgment, in completely the wrong direction on that journey through New York City. And it's this, Andy Stanley, who's uh, one of my favorite pastors and authors and thinkers, he has, he has a statement that really applies in so many ways to our life. And he says, this direction, not intention, determines destination. 
So you and I, we all intend the right things. We intend the best. We hope for the best. We aspire to the best. But the direction our lives actually go in, just like I aspired to reach Lincoln Center. I intended that we were going to get there. I thought I was going in the right direction. But that direction actually led us to a destination that was in the opposite direction of where we wanted to go. And so this is true in our lives This is true in our faith. This is true in so many ways. And this is a tendency that is built in. It is hardwired into all of us that we need to watch out for. You know, when I first moved to this area, again, I'm very directionally challenged, as I as I said, this was before GPS. And I remember I would always drive, and for some reason, I would always end up in the city of Patterson, lost, having no idea where I was. And so over time, I had to learn hard how to avoid ending up in the city of Patterson, to avoid certain turns in the road, to make other ones, to pay attention, to be vigilant. And the same is true for us in our life. And in our faith. And so the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' speech that we've been in for the past a couple of months, it's coming to a climax. This is like the big payoff. And it's not this big happy ending. It's a warning to them. And it's a warning to us. It's really been a contrast between the way of Jesus, what we've been calling the kingdom of God, and the way of the Pharisees or the teachers of the law or the culture that people knew. They knew that there was this one way that they had been taught and had been told to them. And then there was this new way of Jesus. And I think a common misunderstanding or misconception of this passage is that the Pharisees, the Jewish way, the way that people understood was also seeking God. It was seeking the same ending, but only one of these directions actually finds him. Remember what I said, intention is not the issue. Direction is the issue, and that's true in our faith, and it's true in our lives. And so this entire passage has been, it's been a language of twos. It's been a language of contrast. And we stand at the fork in the road having to make a decision about which direction we're going to go in. And Jesus, in his words and in his language, he emphasizes the urgency of this decision. And so the passage we're going to talk about today, it talks about two gates and two roads. It's that language of twos. It's that language of contrast again. And so they're the different versions of the same thing. They're both gates and they're both roads, but the one you walk on determines the direction that you go, not what you hope for, but the direction you actually take. And so we pick up in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, and Jesus says this. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. And so the first thing that Jesus calls us to with urgency is to get on the road. He calls us to make a decision to begin to walk our lives in a direction. Because remember what I said, direction, not intention, not the things we hope, not even the things we pray for, but the way we order our lives, the steps we take, it actually leads us somewhere and it leads us farther over time. The word narrow we see in the passage in the original language, it's implied like you're squeezing through something. I don't know if you've ever squeezed through like a a tight spot or a gap in between a fence or something like that. It's that same language that you have to actually work to get through it. And so we have this narrow thing that you have to squeeze through and we have a gate which would have represented the entry point to a journey. It's sort of like an exit ramp or an entrance ramp onto a highway. You have to commit. Have you ever seen one of those people 
people who they're stopped like right on the median at the exit and they're not sure whether to stay on the highway or to get off on the exit. And, and there's, there's people who are behind them and they're honking. There's an urgency to what they have to do. They have to make a decision. And so that's the same kind of language that Jesus is using here. And this narrow gate that you squeeze through, it requires you to not have a lot of stuff that you're carrying with you to enter unencumbered. I don't know if you've ever gone through a turnstile with a suitcase, or maybe you've seen someone else do that. The narrow gate strips you of the things that you want to hold on to, the things you want to bring with you on the journey with Jesus. And so often, you know, we have all this baggage that we want to bring with us, our preconceived notions, uh, our expectations that we projected, our other views of things like the world around us, or our success, or even, as I've said, our politics. We want to bolt those on to Jesus. And this gate that Jesus calls us to enter through strips us of everything else. We can't pick Jesus and a bunch of other stuff. Jesus doesn't come to endorse our way of life. He comes to actually require that to be stripped off of us, the things that we hold on to for security or for comfort. And so we enter unencumbered through the narrow gate. And so Jesus is saying, don't just admire these principles, which we all think are great ideas. Commit to building and making your lives around them. And whenever you commit to something, there's a cost involved. And so we enter through the narrow gate, and it's a gate that he says at the end of this passage is only a few find. And it's not because it's hard to find. It's not because it's something that we have to search out and it's just impossible to find. It's something that we actively have to be on the lookout for. I don't know if you've ever, when you're paying attention and you're looking for something specific, suddenly you see it in a lot more places. He says, don't get distracted. Look for this thing. And most people won't make this commitment. But then there's a contrast to another road, and it's the broad road that accommodates the crowd and all their baggage, their way, their stuff, their truth, preconceived notions. You, on the broad road, you can bring it all with you. And Jesus goes on, and he warns of people who are going to attempt to lead us in one direction or the other. Verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly. They're ferocious wolves. By, your, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, will you recognize them. This is a key phrase here because he's saying that a lot of people are going to say a lot of things and they're going to say words and they're going to say things that sound good and sound appealing and they connect to something within us. But he's saying that's not the thing that determines whether something is true or whether it's false. It's by the fruit that it produces. Everything produces fruit after its kind, the way you're living your life, the way you think in your mind, the way that we order our steps they produce fruit. And so Jesus is asking us, he's calling us with urgency, first to get on the road, to make a decision to walk on the path, but then to pay attention to where we're being led and what we're being fed. Pay attention. Don't just mindlessly walk and mindlessly consume, but pay attention to what you're being led, where you're being led and what you're being fed. He uses the language of sheep 
and wolves, which is a little uncommon for most of us because most of us aren't farmers. But wolves never prey on other wolves. They prey on sheep. And one of the bad raps that sheep get is that they're this, these, these kind of dumb animals that, that don't think very well. I did a little bit of internet research, and I've actually been around sheep a good bit in my life. And sheep aren't inherently stupid. You can go Google search this and you'll find this out. But very often, they're not very discerning. They're not dumb, but they're not very discerning. They don't sense danger. They follow the crowd. Very often, they'll eat whatever is in front of them without paying attention to what it is. Does that sound familiar at all? Now, Jesus was speaking in a different time. But again, he's speaking to something that's true about the human condition then and now. You know, we don't lack very often for intelligence, but very often as people, even as Christian people, as people of faith, we lack for discernment. We eat whatever is fed to us, whatever cable news feeds to us, we swallow it whole. Whatever the world or the culture around us feeds us, we swallow it whole. We attempt to sprinkle a little Jesus on top of those things, to baptize them and to spiritualize them. But at their very basic level, we are just being discipled by the world around us in various forms because we're not paying attention attention to what's being fed. And that takes us on a journey. It leads us in a direction. It doesn't have zero effect and zero cost. So the voices you're listening to, the things you're watching, the people you're hanging out with, the values that you've assumed, they all take you somewhere. And Jesus is saying, watch out. Watch out for where these things lead you. This isn't just about false prophets in Christianity. This is about the voices of the world around us at large. That we don't lack for intelligence, just like that passage in Jeremiah talked about. But there's this thing that happens. We're prone to deception. We're not very discerning at times. We miss danger. We follow the crowd and we eat whatever is fed to us. And so it's tempting to think what Jesus is saying to do here is to be a wolf. He's saying to be the opposite of a sheep. But what he's actually saying is to be a smart sheep and not to be a dumb sheep. You know, sheep tend, as I said, to consume whatever's in front of them. They don't know they're in danger until they're deep in danger. And sheep follow each other around. Uh, my grandparents in central Ohio had a farm. And so one of the things I would do is chase the sheep around the pasture. It's, I don't know. It's not, not a very great idea to do. But they would always go around as a group. They'd always follow each other as a big pack. And this whole group think. And he's saying that the people of the kingdom of God, the people of the way of Jesus, we're called to something different than that. Not just to go in a different direction, but to discern to do this differently. We're called to discern as a community, discern as a people of faith. You know, one of our values here at Long Hill Chapel is that we're culturally discerning. One of the reasons that's there is because we don't just eat whatever is fed to us by the world or even by the Christian subculture, but we humbly consider it through the words and the lens of Scripture and Jesus. And we look at ourselves, realizing our tendency and we discern better together. And so discernment is listening to others. It's not just going in the direction we've already decided is true and finding people who affirm us or voices or information or websites or news sources or anyone else who just affirms. We listen to others. We not only listen, but we hear. And we also wait on God and we hear from God. And so smart sheep, 
which is what we're called to be. They know where they're being led and they know what they're being fed. They don't just consume it mindlessly. They examine it first. And so one of the key ways that we can do this with the voices and the information and all the things in the world is what Jesus points to in this passage. It says, by their fruit, not by their words, not by how smart they look, not by how popular they are, not by what the other people said about them, but what is the fruit of their direction in the short term and in the long term? Where does this path lead? Direction, not intention, determines destination. And so the fruit of their lives, and this is something you can take to the bank at every level, the fruit that is being produced out the back end of a person's life is telltale about what is actually at the center of their lives. And one of the things you can do is when you're contemplating getting on a path or following in a direction or consuming something is to say, what does this produce in me in the long run? You know, one of the things in our family we've rediscovered, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, is we've rediscovered how good McDonald's is for, like, families with little kids. They, they all love it. We all love it. But I know in my heart that if that's all I consume or that's all I feed them, it may not show up in the moment. You know, we might feel a little upset in our stomachs if we have too much of it in the moment. But a steady diet of that over time leads us and leads them in a direction that we might not want to go. So what is the fruit? Not their words, because it's easy for us to be deceived. But what is the fruit of their lives? What is the fruit that their lives take us in? And this isn't one of those things that we say, well, you know, their lives lead in a bad direction, but it gets us some good stuff that we want. That's not how the kingdom of God works. By their fruit, you'll know them. And so one of the things we need to do is we need to train ourselves to distinguish what's true what's righteous from what's false. You know, a false prophet was identified by what they said, but more than that even, they were identified by where that led people and what it led them to do. You know, one of the things uh, that FBI agents uh, who study counterfeiting and, and counterfeit currency do is they learn to identify counterfeit bills by closely studying the authentic ones. There's some very subtle things that set authentic currency apart from very sophisticated counterfeits. And so one of the things I believe that we're called to do is to dwell and meditate and study on what's true. You know, Christians, we love calling out false this and false teachers that, but I think really what's so much more important for us is that we dwell on what's true. And in fact, that's what the scriptures call us to do. Because if all we're doing is paying attention to the false, we forget what's true and inevitably we become just like the thing that we're trying to call out. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, the Philippians in chapter 4 and verse 8 and 9 of the book, the letter that he wrote to them. He said this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, listen to this, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about or dwell on or meditate on such things. Whatever you've heard Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So when we meditate and we dwell and we build our lives on these things, it actually leads us somewhere. It leads us to a place of peace, of security, and even of hope. 
And these words here should be convicting to many of us because there's many other things we dwell on, we build our lives on that are anything but this. And sometimes we look at those things and say, yeah, this isn't so great, but look at the outcome that it gets. Once again, that's not what the kingdom of God does. It's not how it works. There's not like this payoff moment. It always leads us in a direction. Because once we get on the road, we get on the narrow path. It strips us of all those other things, but it's the path that leads to life. Jesus concludes, and he concludes the whole Sermon on the Mount with these words, verse 21. And again, this isn't a super happy way to end. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but get this, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. We've heard that phrase before. It's talking about the way of the kingdom of God. The one who does that is the one. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Remember who he's talking to here. He's not talking to a godless group and a godly group. He's talking to two groups or two ways of seeing the world or living life that both are searching for God, but only one of them gets there. It's not about intention. It's about the direction that our lives are placed on. And so we start by getting on the road. We pay attention to what we're be, where we're being led and what we're being fed. But then we remember that this starts and it ends with Jesus. Not religion, not even good works, but it starts with a relationship with Jesus, which is different than doing a lot of things for Jesus or even knowing a lot about Jesus. It's a relationship that we're cultivating. But just like any relationship does, it will lead you and it will motivate you in a certain direction and to a certain course of action. I'll never forget when I started dating my wife, Grace, who is now my wife, and we've been married for 22 years now, but we were, we were both in college, and we fell in love like in this idyllic kind of springtime fashion uh, that was my last year of college, and I'll tell you, it completely changed my priorities. It changed the direction of my life. It changed where I was going to move after. It changed how I spent my time. It changed at every level, and some of you have had a similar kind of relationship. The same is true with our relationship with Jesus. It changes our lives, and then it motivates and it moves us into a specific direction. The actions of our lives begin to reflect the nature of the relationship. And what is that direction? It's the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's really shorthand for the way of the kingdom of God. It's the stuff we've been talking about for this entire series and the way of Jesus. And so direction, not intention, determines destination. You've heard the sermons. Some of you have been with us through the entire series. Now is the time to not just marvel at the words of Jesus, but to be, get on the road and to put them into practice and to start to order our lives. And for some of you, this is a different direction. It's a new direction or it's a direction that you return to in the way in the direction of Jesus. So get on the road, pay attention to where you're being led and what you're being fed. And remember that it all starts and it ends with Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your words. They're bracing, they're not easy words for us to hear. 
but we receive them as words for us, not just for other people, not just for the people who we think are on the wrong path, but we realize our own tendency to be on that wrong path in so many ways ourselves. Help us examine our hearts. Would you reveal to us by the power of your Holy Spirit the direction that we ought to go, the corrections that we ought to make, that as we squeeze through this narrow gate that leads to life, it will strip us of things that we want to hold on to. Would we release those knowing that you're leading us on a path to something so much greater and so much better? Help us walk this way, not just hear this way, not just sprinkle this on top of the way we've already decided to live our lives, our version of what we think is true, but that we would seek you first. We would seek your kingdom first, that we would know that all of the things that we need, as you said, even just in this very same Sermon on the Mount, will be added to us. We'll have all that we need for the journey. I pray you'd be with us. I pray that we would take these words to heart, not just take them to heart, but they would lead us to change the direction of our lives in small ways and maybe even in some big ways. We commit all these things to you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. To connect with us further, you can visit our website at lhcnj.net. We're on social media at LHCNJ, and we'll be back next week with another sermon. Until then, have a great week and God bless. Thank you.